Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And you know, again, I, I, I can't say this enough. I am blown away by the caliber of people that choose to come on the Intentional Encourager podcast and share their story with you. And another one is here with us today. He is Marcus Chan. From speedos to selling seven-figure contracts, you know I'm going to ask him about that. Um, he is the founder of the Six-Figure Sales Academy all over LinkedIn. But again, you can find him right here right now on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Marcus, how are you doing today, brother? Hey, Brian. I'm fantastic, man. Thank you so much for having me on. And I've got to tell you what, man, your radio announcer voice is fantastic. I love it. I absolutely love it. You know what, man? It's the only thing that I can do reasonably well. And, <laughs> and so why not have a podcast, man? You know, right? I love it. You, hey, your, your pipes are sounding pretty clean themselves today, my man. I, and, and if you're watching the video on YouTube... <laughs> Marcus, I, I'm having microphone envy right now because Marcus has got a killer mic there. Uh, of course, I, I use the Fipen 670B. Shout out to the guys at Fipen. And so again, you know, we we but but yeah, Marcus has got a great setup there. And man, I appreciate you joining me. Let's start here. You're a sales guy. I'm a sales guy. That's where I cut my teeth. 25 years in customer engagement and, and sales management, things like that. I'm not going to ask you what you're, how you're selling in a pandemic. I'm going to ask you this to start out. What have you changed? What are you not doing in sales right now during this pandemic? Yeah. Well, here's what I find to be really interesting, right? Um, and this is my opinion. I think you're going to appreciate this, Brian, because you, since you've been selling for, you know, you know, over a couple of decades now, you've seen the ups and downs of sales. You've seen the ups and downs and everything. Um, I'm a firm believer the fundamentals never go out of style, okay? And I think over the last 10 years or so of us being in a bull market, we have seen some poor habits kind of creep in for many reps that are now starting to bite them in the butt, you know? And, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, like, over the last five to 10 years, we've been able to see a lot of people be able to, they, they talk a lot about automation and templated emails and just, you know, just really driving that numbers game, which has been a very old school concept, but really utilizing automation for that. And they're using it on, say, LinkedIn, and they are sending automated messages nonstop, and they're not having much success. Mm -hmm. I mean, the reality is, is um, customized messaging and personalization and being able to read your prospect that's a fundamental of sales <laughs> that yeah. has not changed. And I think right now, those who maybe only sold in the last say five or 10 years who did not really realize, and they could just basically churn and burn prospects. They're saying, wow, holy, you know, like, holy smokes. Now I'm not getting a hold of my prospects anymore. I'm not gonna be able to get a hold of people. We're not converting deals. And they're realizing the tactics they were using really has has not been effective. They've only been effective in the sense of they had more people to sell to in a good economy. And when the economy kind of tightens up, that really immediate need of those customers are they're less likely to take action today. 
So yeah. definitely one thing I've seen for sure that people really should be stopped doing right now. I mean, I never did because I never believed in it, but is stopping the automated messaging, the templated messaging, but being customized, personal, and real, you know, and, and people kind of overdo the word emotional intelligence and EQ and empathy, but yeah. that's, that's something that never goes out of style, right? I mean, the best marketing and sales strategy is always caring for your clients, your customers. That's never changed. It's, it's even more prevalent today because there's so many tools that drive automation. Mark, as you, you've hit on it, and that's the thing is people, people have always used LinkedIn mm -hmm. as a way to grow their business, right? Mm -hmm. The more connections that I can get, the more people I can connect with, I'm going to grow my business. Mm -hmm. LinkedIn, and, I, and I've said this, and I want to get your thoughts around this as well. I see a shift happening in LinkedIn where people are now starting to say, I value connection mm -hmm. more than I do business or connecting with people just to do business. I value connecting with people that really add value to me, almost a professional, if you will, a professional place to get encouraged, to get uplifted, to get yes. motivated and things like that. You've been using the platform for a long time and that's how you and I got together. What are you starting to see in, in, in your social media platforms that's starting to move that way? Because I love what you said there just now is, is people are, are figuring out what they did before that took them from point A to point B is not going to get them from point B to point C. Yeah, so I think especially for like LinkedIn, right? Um, I think it's because, and maybe it's been driven because of maybe the pandemic, so there's more people online, which could definitely be part of the reasoning. Um, I think people are actually seeing LinkedIn as a true like social media networking site, you know? Like before, like, you know, like with like Facebook and Instagram, you kind of have these little, you know, groups of people that would kind of come, come about. And now on LinkedIn, where it's like that professional one, where it's like, you know, like I'm connected with many people now that, have nothing to do with sell, sales or their salespeople. They're not even salespeople. They're just like in different industries and we're connecting and we're, ha we're having offline conversations and we're having great relationships that are developing as a result. So I'm seeing it turn into just a really powerful tool in terms of really um, building new friendships and relationships that's outside what was done before. And what I'm also seeing is it's becoming really a place where people like, are showing up to consume the content they really want to consume. Like, I mean, I mean, I'm on all the platforms, but I can't tell you how many times I hear someone say, I'm not on Facebook anymore, right? I'm not on Instagram anymore because they're tired of some of maybe the political posts and the propaganda, whatever they see on there, they're tired of it, you know? And is, yeah. is there some of that stuff on LinkedIn? For sure there is, but I think as of right now, it's not as prevalent, right? So yeah. people are able to go to LinkedIn to get, you know, positive, uplifting things. Now, does that mean there's not negativity on them? There still is. And I, I definitely see there's, there's some uh, uh, sites out there or, or profiles that troll people on LinkedIn who put out positive messages. That's just their thing, right? They make yeah. fun of, you know, the influencers of LinkedIn. It, it is what it is. But at the end of the day, I know if I scroll through my LinkedIn feed versus my Instagram feed or Facebook feed, I am more positively uplifted going through my LinkedIn feed, right? And I, yeah. and I love that, right? And I love being able to consume the content of text and video, et cetera. To me, that's very, very powerful. And uh, I don't see it as just a work-only site. I mean, I, I've, I've seen the power of it for, you know, a couple of years now. I'm like, this is a great site in general to, uh, well, 
connect with people, build a great brand, but also just really build a nice network of people that actually are helping support you and uplift you. It's a powerful tool. Well, and that's the reason that we that we started the Intentional Encourager podcast was, listen, there, there are rock stars like you and Dale Dupree and, and guys like that. And, and you guys are friends. And I love what you're doing. And I just mentioned those guys. And there's, there's tons more people out there. A lot of them have been on this podcast. I wanted to leave the expertise to you guys because you're doing such a fabulous job there. And I thought, okay, this is what I can do is I can bring encouragement. I can bring intentional encouragement to this platform. When you look at, at the way you starting, you're using LinkedIn more. And you mentioned you're on all the social platforms. What is what content is really valuable to Marcus Chan? Yeah, for me to consume or for me to put out? For you to consume. Yeah. So, uh, you know, for me, I mean, it's one of those things where I love, I still love text-only posts. It's very, very quick for me to read and consume. And I like that, right? That's, that's a personal thing. But I really, really enjoy, like, creative, short, powerful videos. And that can be about anything. Um, it could be about sales, it could be about marketing, it could be about mental health. Um, you know, one of my friends, Michael Cortina, you know, he, he, he's uh, in the mental health space and optimizing, you know, the brain. And his videos are all about that. They're one to two minutes. They're powerful and impactful. They're uplifting. I love that, right? Um, I got another friend, Jonathan Dunn. He is like more of a, a personal growth coach and he puts out fantastic content. You know, some is a little bit longer, but it's always really impactful personal development con it's all very very uplifting and i love stuff like that you know things like that to me is it's uh, it's inspiring it's inspiring because mm. you know it's one of the things where and i'm sure it's probably similar for you where you put out that piece of content you create whether it's a post a podcast you know a video and if you can just impact one person you know yeah. it's very powerful and uh some of those people i mentioned when i when i consume some of their content it always positively impacts me in a good way right like it's kind of like if you're having a rough day just read one of the posts and just getting some new perspective, right? Yeah. Is very powerful. Even if it's stuff you heard before, it doesn't really matter because sometimes the medicine, it tastes just right when you just deliver the right time. And that's where I see that type of stuff, right? And, um, and that's where, you know, I think uh, when you're on social media, like uh, LinkedIn, you have to be very intentional with making sure you seek out those type of, that, that type of information because right now we're starting to see a little bit of a shift in the algorithm in terms of what type of content they put in front of people. So sometimes some of my stuff might just get hidden. So I will purposely seek out their stuff every day to make sure I can check it out and get that little uh, positivity juice, if you will. Right. And I yeah. think it's really powerful for anybody. So for each person who's out there and they're consuming content on any platform, don't just rely on just the feed. You may have to go out and seek out some of those people as well intentionally to make sure you can see their content and get that, you know, that little juice, juice up if you need every single day. You, you've really hit on something really brilliant there, Marcus. I love what you said there. I think for a lot of people, it's finding the balance mm -hmm. of posts that will help them. Yes. Posts that will, that will, and I watched one of your posts today about about follow-up, which was, which was great. They, the great little short nuggets of expertise that will help somebody, whether you're a relatively new salesperson, you're a mid tenured, even, even a, a very seasoned right. tenured salesperson, you can mix that in. But if you're, if you're all expertise yeah. and no encouragement there, 
you know, even as a professional, you, you still need that encouragement. 100%. So, so let me ask you this. Let me now frame the question another way. What do you find for you is valuable content for you to post? Because you're yeah. somewhat diverse in your content as well. It's sales-based, yep. but, but you're very intentional about the diversity of your yes. content that you're posting as well. Yeah, so I put them in a few different buckets, right? Um, so there's definitely very tactical tips, like basically like, do this and this will help you get results, okay? Yeah. So that's one one type and that can be video or text, you know, I'll do both, right? Um, and then I'll do um, some sort of probably inspirational or motivational and that could be focused, that could be two different buckets. It could be a sales focused one, it could be a more general one, right? And then, you know, so that's kind of like a couple different buckets, right? And then uh, I'll do I'll do another one where it could just be just a lesson, uh, a moral lesson or a life lesson. That could be either a sales-based one or a life-based one. And yep. those are kind of buckets I, I dub them into, right? And each week, I use them a kind of mixture of all of those, right? Probably at least one tactical sales tip and then a mixture of the motivational and inspirational pieces from sales to personal life. And, um, and sometimes it's just a perspective piece, right? Um, and I find for me, it varies. Some stuff will definitely get more eyes on it and impact more people. And some won't. I mean, I mean I'll give you an example. Right? One of my top posts that really trended really well, it, it didn't trend well because of the reason I wanted. I can't remember the last time I had. It was, it was, about, it was months ago. But I basically shared a story how, uh, you know, I was overly aggressive as a brand new rep, was not, did not read the situation well, the prospect, and they pulled a gun on me. And I was terrified. No, no, nobody, no, I didn't get hurt. No one, he didn't shoot at me or anything. But that post just went like almost vi pretty much viral on LinkedIn. But it wasn't because of, of like the, the, the lesson. Some people love the lesson, but there's some people like, oh, that's made up. That's not true. I'm like, that's no, it's, it did happen. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, do you think every time someone pulls a gun on somebody, it's going to be the news? No. Like, nobody was shot. Nothing happened. It was a scary moment. Like, that was just me being a bonehead rep you know, not, not be intentional. So that's where it's like, uh, the views aren't always important, but really it's about the impact. So I look at whatever post I put out there and they'll usually the amount of views and shares really tell me the impact is going to have on people, right? If, if it's a highly shared uh, item, pretty good, pretty good topic. Or if, it's, if a lot of people are tagged in it, probably a good sign that it, it really impacted people. Right. And um, at the end of the day, um, I don't focus on viral content. That's not my goal. Right. Yeah. And some people, really, they really care about that. I don't care about that. I care about impact. I care about helping someone. Right. If they're reading an inspirational post because I shared uh, a story about how, you know, my dad was an immigrant. He came to America with absolutely nothing. I share that story. Well, that's very powerful for, you know, for many people. Right. To hear that. And it may not trend as well as some other things, but I know it's going to be of high impact for someone out there who's having a tough day and they need some perspective on their yeah. life. So I focus on impact over, you know, the virility, if you will, of a post. I was a little bit concerned for your safety because I don't know if you noticed or not, but you had a small intruder that was trying to get in your back door there. <laughs> I, I, I saw that him. Was probably your, probably your daughter. Well, so uh, you can find this hilarious. It's, it's actually my son, Brian. His hair is just out of control. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I didn't no, mean that. Not me. Yeah, I did yeah, not His mean. hair is out of control. He refuses. Let's cut it. Hey, man, I've been there. I get a 20-year-old that went yeah. through that phase, man. It, it was like, I'm just going to let my hair grow. And I, oh, yeah. He was, oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. He, was, he was looking like, but I, I was a little bit concerned. I'm like, 
Marcus's got an intruder, you know, about to roll up on the on the intentional encouragement. Sometimes that happens. He's he wanted to drop some words of intentional encouragement, you know. So (laughs) yeah, no, it would have been all good, man. It would have. And I'll tell you this, man. You know, it's it's funny. You you had a gun pulled on you. I I one time I was doing a, um, I was doing an event for a customer, as a regional sales guy. And I didn't know this, but the customer's event was actually a political rally. Oh, and I was like, yeah, "Oh wow, yeah, that's this right. is interesting for for a, a United States senator." And I'm like, yeah. "I was just coming here to to show some parts and talk to some yeah. people, and right. I didn't realize I'd rolled up on a political rally." You know? Yeah. So oh, yeah. Th- those stories that you have, and you're exactly right, Marcus. You know, you you. The longer you're a rep and the longer you do things, you have those instances where you right. look back and there are moments that that define you mm-hmm. as a salesperson and you go, man, here's the lesson that I learned right. from it. Here's, right. here's, here's the takeaway from it. And, and you go, okay, that to your point, you mentioned I, I was a bonehead rep. Listen, man, we, we've all had those, right. those bonehead moments. Let me let me go here real quick before we pivot into your story. Where do you think we go post pandemic with social media platforms like LinkedIn and things like that? How will companies use social media post pandemic to really supercharge their sales? Because I think companies have really had to dial back, be way more empathetic, not bombard their customer with as much messaging, but go look we're here for you. We're going through the same things you are. Can you kind of look into your crystal ball and kind of see what do you see post pandemic, how customers, how, how companies reach customers? Yeah. So, um, I'm going to break them into probably like, probably like three buckets, if you will. Okay. Okay. So I think there's going to be the very progressive companies and the progressive companies utilize, uh, social platforms like, you know, LinkedIn or Facebook, they use it as a way to generate demand. Okay, they do demand generation, meaning they're putting so much value out there. It's creating leads. They're not pitching. They're not putting posts about pitching, but they have also have turned their employees and their leadership teams into brand ambassadors. And we see that with some great companies already. You know, I think Gong does a great example. This Gravy does a great example. They utilize the platforms and they're and they're they have full, they trust their people to go out there and post valuable comments about anything. That's it a fabulous zero, point. Right. That's it a fabulous deal. Point. Right. And they're building a brand and awareness. And people like, like when I think about like, you know, um, I think a great example is a gal named uh, Sarah Brazier, right? She's over at um, Gong and she mm-hmm. posts some great content. So when I'm thinking about, you know, great recording software or something for, you know, recording coaching reps, that's what I think about. I think about Sarah and I think about Gong because the brand she's built there. It doesn't matter where she goes. She doesn't carry that brand with her. Right. And the, the progressive companies, are, they know and they're already doing this. They're trusting people to post and do whatever they want to build their own personal brands in which ultimately now leverages or the company leverages off their personal brand. That's very powerful. That's what uh, progressive women are already doing. That's a very small percentage. I would say if I put a percent, maybe, maybe 1%, maybe, maybe 5%. It's very small. Well, let me, let me yeah. jump in here, Marcus, because yeah. I am starting to see companies like Amazon yeah. and companies like that that are using their employees as brand ambassadors. And I think it's a great idea and I would like to see companies take it a step further and say, this is what I value about this company. Yep. 
and let me step into a buyer's shoes yep. for a minute. Because I, I, I've said this, Marcus, the biggest thing that reps do is they forget how to be customers themselves. Right. They forget what, what is really, truly valuable. And every customer defines value differently. Right. So, so value is not going to be the same for customers, but a lot of reps forget, you know, why they buy themselves. And, right. and I love that. I think Amazon is doing that. I want to see more companies do that. And I want to mm -hmm. say, I want to see more companies to your point, say, as an employee, mm -hmm. this is what we do that if I were a customer, mm -hmm. I would find to be incredibly valuable. And mm -hmm. as an average person, I think it will resonate with you because 100%. of X, Y, Z. I yeah. love what you said. I love what you said there because, you know, instead of hiring an ad agency and nothing against that right. and hiring actors or actresses to do the, why not just let your employees tell your story? 100%. Let them humanize it, right? And, I'll, and I think it's, it's kind of like this. So if, let's just say, for example, if Amazon has a big push for their people to do a philanthropy event, right? Like, like locally, just do a philanthropy event, give back to the local community, however way it's going to be, right? Whether it's, you know, you know, Habitat for Humanity or doing whatever, food drives, whatever, right? So um, instead of saying, hey, uh, you know, leaders and, and, and employees, post this image of these stock images we give you. Instead, they go and do it, and then they just encourage them, hey, share, put a post up if you want. So they can say, you know, you know, you know, like, hey, everyone, check out, check out what, what you know, what me and my team did today. Boom, boom, hashtag Amazon, and they're helping out. You know, they're feeding you know needy kids. That's very powerful. It's a very organic and very you know touching human-based post, right? And that's what I see to be the best stuff. You know, um, and and my last company before I started my business, I did that all the time, right? And the way I utilized it was for recruiting purposes because yeah. I want to make sure people knew, like, hey, we have a great company, but I didn't want to post these stock and like, hey, go apply here. I would say, hey, look, check out this amazing awards event for our top top winners here. And, you know, congrats to all our winners. So they would see the culture. They would see the company's all about without me directly saying, look at this. Come work for us or buy this. And well, so Marcus, that's what it's like. Marcus, let me, let me jump in here again because you are just you're, – you're bringing a lot to the table that is just common sense things to think about because more and more we are seeing even in a country of 350 million people now we're starting to see people around us that have been affected directly by COVID-19 yep and and there might be an opportunity for someone to tell their story and say hey I had a loved one that was hospitalized due to nice. COVID-19 and my company X mm -hmm. stepped up and did this, this, and Beautiful. this right. and helped me through this unbelievable time. And yes. that's why I believe in the mission of our company. I, what you said there is just so powerful because it, it recruits for you 100%. without recruiting for you. Right. And you can keep your internal motives pure mm -hmm. and you can say, we didn't do this to recruit new mm -hmm. new talent this is what we do all the time this is our culture this is right. this is who we are 100% of the time but yet now you have built so much value mm -hmm. externally and internally i love what you said there in in business owners if you're listening to this or or marketing people if you're listening to this man really grab a hold of what marcus has just said there and really consider 
those internal customer stories instead of the external. We're, we're so busy, Marcus, focusing on the external customer story, right. we forget about the internal customer story. And people connect with that, and they want they want to partner up with a good, solid company who's doing good things, you know. And that's that's a, and that's a, and that's that's just it. It's it's not actually it's, it's a very simple strategy, which is hey. Uh, provide the culture and support for people to share what they want on social media and don't condemn them. Right? So that means usually if you do a good job, taking care of your people, they're probably going to do it. If they are proud to work at your company, they're probably going to post stuff and share stuff about your company. That's going to happen. Whether it's philanthropy, a team event, maybe it's just a, an after hours happy hour, right? They're going to share those things on social media and not have to worry. And that's very powerful because then you can, it basically will create demand for your business. It creates awareness. People will like it. It's, it's, it's very powerful. And that's the, the progressive companies that are already doing that. Then there's the other companies who are wanting to do that, but they're, they're not quite there. So they might be doing the stock images. They're very conservative in terms of their approach, right? They're like, okay, you know what? Like, here, we, we're going to choose brand ambassadors. Here are the images. Share these. But that doesn't really work, right? It dilutes the messaging, yeah. right? Yeah. People see through it. And then there's the ones who are going to do nothing. They're going to say, oh, it's just social media. It's just another fad, right? But here's the thing. Those principles we just discussed just you know, a few minutes ago, those principles apply to every single platform. They really do. You can do the same thing on Facebook, on Instagram, to XYZ platform in the future. So if you have that progressive, you know, progressive mindset of a company that you're looking ahead, you build the habits up front as part of the culture. So regardless of the platform, the employees are already posting. They're already doing these things, which will ultimately – help the business it'll actually probably retain more people realistically because they're proud to work for a company that allows them to have a, a voice and to share whatever they want on social media without repercussion yeah and i love that and, and here's the thing you got a lot of these companies out there that go by golly we've already bought the stock images we're yeah. already running with it you know we've got this already budgeted out for this mm -hmm. particular type of promotion we're going to run with it and, and it, they wonder why it doesn't have the, the, the right. success that it has is because there was no thought to it. It was, right. let's get it out there. Just, you know, it, it's like you talk about with, with, with lead generation, with reps and things like that. You're just throwing so much content at people right. that you're going, well, I wonder why it didn't stick. Well, there was no right. thought put into it. You're That's just right. buying, you're buying leads that mm -hmm. you don't know are any good right. or not. You're, you're just putting content out there. Man, we could go for goodness, man. We, I should have, I should have booked you for two hours, man. So we could have yeah. done a bunch of different things, but I've got to get into your story because yep. it is fascinating. You, you and your parents, your parents emigrated mm -hmm. to the United States from, from China. So I want you to go back as far as you want to go, tell as yep. much of the story as you can. I've also got to ask you at some point, we're going to get to the sign. Yes. that's right behind you from Aristotle. And I want oh, you yeah. to talk about the meaning of that to you. But but Marcus, the floor is yours, man. You go as far back and tell your story as far Beautiful. back as you want to go. Well, I appreciate that, right? So uh, you know, as I mentioned, you know, my parents are immigrants, right? My dad's from China. My mom's from Taiwan. And, um, you know, early on. Dude, so my, I thought my, you were from Georgia, man. I thought I know, you were. I know, uh, yeah. I know. I know, right? I know, right? You know, don't be fooled by my accent, right? So yeah, English, I know, man. English is actually yeah. my second language. So, uh, you know, so my dad, when he came to, uh, before he came to America, he actually was put in, uh, during the Cultural Revolution, his whole family, very, very poor, like real third world country poor, was put into a, a communist re-education camp. 
He eventually escaped away, made his way to Hong Kong, eventually made to the U.S., got sponsored to the U.S., and just came to America with absolutely nothing, right? And like many early Chinese immigrants around that same time in, in the 70s, he went to San Francisco. So was there, lived in a house, like six other people in a very small apartment, right? Trying to figure out his life, you know. He basically was like, I came to America because I, I can actually have choices, right? So eventually went to Taiwan, met my mom, brought her back. They bought their first house in Springfield, Oregon, you know, very, it's a very old beat up neighborhood, bad neighborhood, kids doing drugs. So we grew up, when I was born a few years later, we grew up just in a tough neighborhood. I mean, it was tough. Like we, we didn't have much money. My parents started a restaurant um, and we grew up working. I mean, we just grew up working and there was growing up at a massive fear that we would lose our house and restaurant, become homeless. That was my biggest fear. I had all parents were in the restaurant business. I, I love that yeah. guy because I spent oh, yeah. 15 years. I spent 15 oh, yeah. years in a restaurant business. So I know how tough that is. It's a lot of work, right? And profit margins yeah. are tight, you know? So, um, so growing up, you know, we just, we, we all worked. Like it was like, I go to school, I go to work. I go to school, I go to work. So I started working in a restaurant like at five years old. We doing everything. We all pitched in. It was a family business, right? It was, it was do it to survive, right? That was it. So growing up, I grew up just working, right? Whenever I had free time I had, I grew up here doing whatever. And we mentioned, we talked about sports earlier. While my friends were out playing sports, if I did any sports, I did that, but then I went to work. So, you know, growing up was all about work. And, um, you know, fortunately over time, my parents were able to, you know, start building the business up and start diversifying. And they were able to, you know, have a little bit better life over probably to about 15 years ago to that point, right? And, uh, you know, I continued to work, work for them until about 2002. And then at that point, uh, you know, they had built up other, you know, uh, you know, other, you know, uh, income sources. So they sold the restaurant off because it really wasn't profitable at all. Right. And that's when I had to go and get an, an actual job. I was like, I had to get a job because at this point, I'm like, crap. Like at this point, I was about to uh, graduate high school and go uh, to college. And, and you never parents, thought about being in the restaurant business. Did, had you just had enough from, from, from being a kid working in that business? Had yeah. you just, had you just had, because that, and the reason I asked that question, Marcus, is, is that some, some kids that grow up in the restaurant business, follow their parents into it yeah. and then generate, you know, they bring their kids into it and they build that family yeah. lineage. I, what I hear what you're saying is my parents did it. And, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. This yeah. is what I'm hearing. Yeah. My parents did it till they burned out and I was yeah. not going to do that. Is kind of, yep. is that kind of what you, Oh yeah. hundred percent. I mean, at this point, like I remember they sold the restaurant. I'm like, okay, cool. Great. Like, but I need to get a job. I still didn't know what I was going to do. Right. So started going to university of Oregon and uh, I went, you know, I got a job selling speedos, right. Selling speedos at a speedo store. Uh, that was my first job that I got because I was a competitive swimmer growing up. So it was an easy transition. So I was doing that job. And even when I was doing that while going to school, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. Like I knew for sure. I wanted nothing, nothing to do with the restaurant. Didn't want, not want to do a single thing. And uh, when I graduated, you know, a few years later, I remember I still didn't know what I wanted to do. I had a business degree uh, and also a Chinese degree. I'm like, what am I going to do with this? I have no idea. Hey, Marcus, I've got to ask you this. I, I got I to park here for just a minute. Yeah. How hard was it for you to be a competitive swimmer and go yeah. to school and work in your parents' restaurant and, and things like that? Because competitive yeah. swimming 
yeah. is not for the faint of heart. It's, it is, it's for one thing, there's not pools, competitive yeah. pools yeah. around every corner. Like there are base, like little league fields, 100% and right. football yeah. fields and things like that. So, so how did, how was it for you growing up to continue to do that with all the other demands yep. on you and your time? And you, you're, you're a young man. It's not yeah. like you're in your thirties and, and things like that. Yeah. You're, you're a kid trying to figure this out and you're competitive yeah. with like swimming. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Yeah, it was a uh, tough. Well, here was funny, right? So, um, I never thought I'd be competitive swimmer. So gr growing up as a kid, um, you know, like first off, like, um, my parents thought I was special. I didn't start speaking until I was four years old. And when I did start speaking, I had a speech impediment. I had to go to speech therapy classes for years. Speech therapy classes, anger management, et cetera, because I had trouble communicating uh, properly to people. So it took me years to get over that. And then on top of that, I was terrible at basically every sport, okay? So here I am, this kid who like, can't really talk, and I'm terrible at every sport. And one of the sports that they thought I could be, might be okay, I was at swimming. And what was really funny is um, with the lessons at their local pool, their advanced class, it literally took me um, like five, four or five like, times to finally pass the advanced class, which really wasn't that advanced. I mean, kids were like six, seven years old passing. I was nine until I finally passed. So I got into competitive swimming then, and I was like, they, they didn't really didn't know if I was going to be any good, good at all because I could barely pass those swim classes. Um, fortunately, a year later, I was, I was one of the fastest kids in the state, and I just kind of picked it up. I'm like, okay, because I just – Kept, kept going right so was and, it from from yeah. was it from when because I, i'm thinking about what you just said yeah a minute ago and digesting that yeah and and you you begin talking at age four most yeah. most kids yeah start at, in at you know at two much or younger like yeah, oh, much, yeah much younger and things like that did you ever internally wonder why it took you longer to pick oh, yeah. things up than other kids yeah. and things like that. Oh yeah, I mean, I just thought I wasn't that smart. That's it was simple as that. I literally was like, I guess I'm not that smart. Like I'm not that good at basketball. I'm not that good at these other sports. I can't really speak. And on top of that, of course, when you can't communicate at a young age, you know, or even at any age really, you get angry because you aren't able to express what's really going on between your ears, right? So uh, at the time, I just thought I was like, well, I guess I'm just special like you know one of special kids like it was embarrassing having to leave class to go to a special classroom to have special classes with somebody else right it was already embarrassing enough that i was you know one of two ethnic kids in this class of 30 right so now not 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 only was i look different now I have to go somewhere else to get special help right yeah. so um and i just growing up i became very used to doing things i did not want to do right I did not want to work at the restaurant. I did it anyways. I did not want to like, you know, work on weekends. I did it anyways. I did not want to go to Chinese school every Sunday. I did it anyways. I did not do, do all these things. Now, some kids get very resentful. I just did it anyways. So when I, when I got to swimming, just pushing through and just being terrible, I just kept going. I just kept going because I'm like, I'm just going to keep going. And I'm glad because, you know, if I didn't, it took me multiple summers you know, by 10, I was one of the fastest kids, you know, in, uh, in the state. I think I had a little more, a little more natural talent with swimming, right? I just, for some reason, couldn't pass the basic classes. Um, but here was really funny. So I uh, was doing great, 11, 12, doing great. And then uh, about 12, 13, every other kid hit puberty, basically, right? 
and they grew like a foot. I stayed like the same height. I've seen, I've seen the same height since I've, I've been like 12. So I'm like, crap, everyone's a foot taller now. They're stronger, they're better, and they're, they're whooping me in the pool. I mean, they are like, I went from like being one of the fastest kids to like just average swimmer. So I'm like, oh man. And I remember at that point, it was really interesting, right? Because I hit 13 or 14, and then I switched swim teams, got a different coach. And the coach, you know, he was, he was hard on us for sure, right? But he saw the potential in me. And, you know, I went from a guy who was, you know, good at one stroke, and he, he would grind us. I mean, I would uh, – we had 11 practices a week, okay? I, I worked out five to five and a half hours a day, um, two hours in the morning, uh, you know, three and a half in the afternoon, including dryland practice and swimming. We swam on average 10,000 meters a day, okay, not including all the dryland running and doing everything else. This is in high school. So – there was, there was no reason for excuses. We just got done, right? Wake up, go to practice, go to school, get off. If practice is right, go to practice, go to the restaurant and work and do homework, right? It was just find a way to get done. There, there was excuses were just not an option. It was go get it done. So that's all I did, right? So um, for me, it was like, okay, cool. Going through and doing that, fine, no problem, right? So that was part of my life just growing up. So compared to swimming. So when I graduated high school, I had the choice to make. Either I go in some collegiate somewhere, which I had many offers, but the amount of money was very small for scholarships, but I had to pay for school. So I chose University of Oregon because I'm like, you know what? I can go there, not, not pay a single thing. You know, like I, got, I got a full ride there. I can go there, not pay for a single thing, and just do that and not swim. And it was amazing only going to college full-time, right? And then working part-time only. It was amazing. I'm like, oh, cool. I can just work 30, 40 hours a week and just go to school. That's easy. Child's play. No swimming now? I have all this free time. So it was a mental shift, right, uh, of growing up that way where I'm like, I can make this happen, right? So fast forward years down the road, whenever I have a lot of things going on, is it hard sometimes? For sure. Do I complain sometimes? For sure. We're human. But use them like, you know what? How can I find a way to get everything done that I truly care about in a single day? So that forces me to be hyper-productive in every single way of my life, whether it's sales, leadership, running my business, family person, or whatever it's going to be, right? It's all right here. It's all in your head. You can decide what you want to do, right? Yeah. But you got to take action and find a way to get it done. What's the biggest thing you learned from selling Speedos? Quite honestly, yeah. I mean, be, yeah. Because, yeah. because again, I can, I can picture yeah. – in this environment, yeah. you're working in a speedo store. You have the competitive swimming background, yeah. and you would think, okay, well, it's it's a garment, yeah. yep. You know, not much to it, yep. you know. But but you you obviously because again, I love the the your your headline on LinkedIn. I'm looking at it from selling speedos to selling seven figure contracts. So there was obviously something that you learned. Oh yeah. That translated. What was it? Yeah. I mean, I mean, there was a lot of things for sure. Right. I mean, cause that was my, now that was retail. So people coming in, but here's what I found. Right. I mean, especially, I mean, there's probably a couple of different things. Number one, I would say never assume what your customer needs. Never assume, never assume. Like they come in, you can't just assume that what they ask about is what they need, especially in retail. If you did that, you're just an order taker. Right. Like uh, I, I, I was able to double quadruple their sales like quite often, like every day, every, every time I was working, I would sell more than everyone else. Not because I knew so much about the product, but because I asked more questions, they would come in and say, Hey, listen, I'm looking for a suit for my son. You know, he's here, you know, he's this size. 
uh, for practice. And I say, cool. Now, most people would say, okay, cool. They Here's a suit. They bring them up. Cool. I'll say, great. Like, you know, like what, what's his stroke? What's his event? Because I knew the industry. I'll say, cool. Like, you know, like, so you have a practice one. What about, do you have anything for, uh, you know, for backup? Well, what do you mean? Well, practice suits get worn out because you're in the pool. Oh, you know, the chlorine. They're like, I guess not. Double order. What about competitive events? Need a different suit? 100%. There's less drag with other suits. So what are you wearing for competitive events? Oh, didn't know that. Upsell, upsell, right? Cool. What about competitive racing goggles? Oh, you need those? Well, yeah, for sure. You have a different set of goggles you need. But also, what happens if a, a, a set of goggles breaks behind the blocks? Because that happens yeah. all the time for competitive swimmers. So, like, I think about that. Boom, upsell. But for me, that wasn't upselling. That was me having a conversation. I'm like, hey, listen, like, if you're going to go do this, this is what you need. Like, if someone's going to go on a hike somewhere, I would, if I knew they needed a certain thing, I wouldn't let them leave without having the essentials. And that's all I was doing, just making sure I asked the right questions to see what do they truly need because they didn't always know, you know. So to me, that's a lesson that really applied down the road for sales across the board. You know, like making yeah. sure I asked the right questions and cover them, you know, identifying the opportunity, right, illuminating what potentially they may not know, but it's creating pain to make a sale happen. Those things I didn't realize what I was doing organically because simply I was curious, I was just making sure I asked the right question, making sure they'd be really happy, you know, and I, I because I knew the field, I knew they needed those things. So, you hit on you hit on something yeah. tremendous there. It is and and this is why I love doing the intentional encourager podcast because you think you know people in their persona. And a lot more of us are getting more comfortable telling our stories. But I would not have known that you had not started speaking until you were four years old. That's, that's an important part of your story. Mm -hmm. That's an important part of your story. Unless we, we got in and asked those questions. Mm -hmm. I want to pivot real quick here. What was the biggest obstacle professionally, personally that you've overcome and what was the lesson you took from it? Yeah, I would say uh, the biggest obstacle for sure. Um, easily, I would say hands down, is just really, it's just, you realize in life, anything you do, when you, when you set big goals, the first thing that happens are obstacles show up, right? Um, but 99.9% .9 of them are all mental. And that's one thing I really learned early on, you know, and I remember like when I first got into sales, um, I, I like true baby sales, I really struggled. And I thought, I thought to myself, I'm like, man, like, uh, this is so hard. Um, my boss isn't training me. They haven't given me resources. I thought those are my obstacles, right? I thought my territory is an obstacle because the territory is smaller than everyone else's. I thought the pan or it, was pan it was the rece recession. I thought the recession was an obstacle, right? I'm like, I have all these obstacles. They're not, none, none of those are my fault. But then once I started enlightening myself and realizing all, the only obstacles I have were right between my ears, that I myself was the ultimate obstacle. And if I could learn how to overcome that, that's going to help me achieve anything. So at the end of the day, you know, uh, once I realized that as things have happened to me that, you know, whether it's like, you know, I've been demoted, I've had like weird things happen. I've had top leaders tell me they're going to fire me. I've had people pull guns on me. I've had all types of, I've had dogs bite me on cold calls. I've had all types of weird things that's happened to me. Right. But at the end of the day, 
I can't always control the external. I can always control the internal. And once I realize that, obstacles no, are no longer obstacles. It becomes simply, okay, you know what? This is in my way. How can I find a way either around or through this? So I view obstacles very different than I, I used to because obstacles before were a solid object in front of me. Now I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm having this issue. What can I do? Who can I reach out to? Who can help me through or around this? And we started thinking that way. Suddenly, obstacles aren't really anything. And when you, and when you think about this, um, you know, it's uh, Matt Damon in the movie The Martian talks a lot about this. When he's up there, you know, on Mars trying to come home, and he has all these problems. He has all these obstacles, just like we all do. But the reality is, is he says, hey, when you have one problem, you solve it, and inevitably another problem will show up. You solve that problem, another problem will show up. But if you keep that case of just solving, overcoming these problems and challenges, if you solve enough problems, eventually you'll get to come home. And it's no different for our goals here. When you have big goals and you obstacles that show up and challenges that show up, if you can solve those problems and obstacles, eventually if you stick through it, stick to it, you will eventually solve enough problems and you'll hit your goals as well. Man, that that is so good. I've got to ask you this because because I, I, I know that there's one more thing that you can share with this audience. Marcus, leave these folks with your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. Mm, yeah. So uh, very, very simple. Stop comparing. Stop comparing. That's it. I mean, it's, it's, it's it seems so simple, but it's hard to do. And that's whether it's on social media, your friends or family. The best thing you can do is focus on being the best version of yourself every single day. Be better than, be the best version of yourself every single day. Be better than yourself yesterday. And just, if you do that consistently, you will see a lot of your anxiety and stress will start dissolving away when you stop comparing. Everyone's on their own journey. Everyone has their own problems. You may not always see, especially in the social media highlight reel. So focus on your own game and just giving your all every single day. And if you can do that consistently, you will see you'll be much happier and you'll thrive in life as a result. I, I meant to ask you, tell me what that sign says behind you, that quote from Aristotle. Yeah, so right, it's one of my favorite quotes is, uh, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence is then not an act, but a habit. And to me, it's one of the most powerful quotes out there because anybody can be great once. Anyone can wake up today and say, I'm going to crush it today. I'm going to be awesome on the phone today. Anyone can just do a great thing one time. But those who are truly excellent are able to be consistent. They're able to take the ordinary and do extraordinarily well by being super consistent in everything they do. So that's my favorite quote. That's why it's on the wall. Yeah, I had to ask. I, I couldn't let it go without asking about it. Marcus, tell folks how they can find you and, and connect with you on all your different uh, social media platforms. Awesome. So if you're on LinkedIn, super easy. Look, look, look up Marcus Chan. It's the only out of Speedos in the tagline, as you mentioned, Brian. Uh, a really uh, simple place to find me is if you head over to marcuschan.io forward slash resources. That's marcuschan.io forward slash resources. Inside there are my social media handles. There's free training and resources all in one simple link right there for you. Go connect with this guy, man. I am so, Marcus, I am so glad we had this conversation. It was so much fun because, again, I, I love unpeeling the layers with you and just just talking to you uh, person to person, man. What a great conversation this has been. Thank you for joining me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Brian, thank you so much for having me on. 
My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Meads. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. And until next time, remember, everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place can be an intentional.